2: 77
0: WABC. And good morning. Good morning. Good Labor Day morning. Hope you folks had a great weekend. Dominic Carter here with you. Talk radio 77 WABC. Boy, was Sunday a bittersweet day for me. I will get to that coming up at about 45 minutes past the hour during the Chronicles of Dominic Carter, and folks, go download the 77WABC app. Coming up this hour, a very interesting program. Let's start with the premise that police have an impossible job. Police have an impossible job, and we are going to talk about it i will be chatting with a retired NYPD detective dr tom coglin he is the owner of blue line psychological services so he's in private practice psychotherapy for law enforcement NYPD officers and other first responders i'm looking forward to a candid conversation where we put everything on the table. Former Vice President Mike Pence expected to testify before the special House committee investigating the January 6th uh, siege at the Capitol, a panel member says. But the question becomes this morning, when is enough enough? Haven't we had enough enough? Hearing meetings, haven't you gotten your point across by now? How long is this going to go on? We are taking your telephone calls, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're going to start with your calls going to Jennifer in Boston in just a minute. But another story that we're following, dangerous arsenic levels found in tap water at a nycha housing complex in the east village bears repeating dangerous arsenic found the levels in tap water at a manhattan nycha housing complex in the east village residents have been forced to turn to turn that is to bottled water it's all coming up this morning i want to go right to the telephone calls this morning and so let's start i see the first one in the queue here happens to be uh jennifer in boston good morning jennifer what's on your mind
3: good morning dominic um thanks as always i hope you had a good weekend um I I just wanted to tell you in your uh, listening audience something extremely disturbing that happened um, in the city of Lynn, which is outside of Boston. Um, Yesterday, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, there were children Listen to who I'm saying did this, children between the ages of 9 and 11 that set a dog on fire and killed it. Um, I then found out I then found out that in Massachusetts, children under the age of 12 cannot be charged with a crime. So I haven't had time to look into, you know, when that was enacted, why it was enacted. So I guess you can murder someone and not be charged with a crime. They certainly can murder a dog and not be charged with a crime.
0: Jennifer, (laughs) one one more time, one more time, because maybe my ears are failing me. Maybe I didn't hear you properly yeah. maybe yeah. there's something wrong with the phone line did i hear you state that some kids uh in an area outside of boston mm-hmm. under the age of 12 lit mm-hmm. a dog on fire
3: and killed it correct
0: and that's all i heard it was a small
3: dog there was another dog uh, um near Norwood, Mass, in the past couple of days. I don't know who harmed this dog, but it was found with severe second degree burns and is currently being treated in the ICU. Um, Any, anyway, I was burned badly. I had a stove blow up on me, a gas stove, when I was 18. Anyone that's ever been burnt knows the pain. that a living thing endures. And to me, it is So indicative of the, you you want to talk about Biden, that jackass. If you'll pardon me, Dominic, talking about fighting for the soul of the nation. These children are soulless. They have not one value instilled in them. Not even just the value of human life or life at all. They, they're vacant vessels. They're empty. And and that if anyone knows anything about serial killers, this is how you start off abusing and killing animals, Absolutely. and it's indicative of everything wrong with society right now. What so what's last, this community, Jennifer? Again, it's called Lynn, like like the woman's name. If you okay. uh, they call it Lynn. Lynn, the city of Sydney you never come up. Now, out the now what
0: what type of community is Lynn?
3: It's sort of a mixed community. It's uh, a okay. it's 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 uh, got a lot of. Um, over the past say, 15 years or maybe more, it's got a lot of uh, illegal immigrants that have moved in. It was always a low income working community, but it has some nice, I know a girl that came from there. She came from a very nice home, you know, sort of lived in a trickle decker. Um, It's sort of a mixed thing. It's not, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's sort of a rough scrabble in a lot of parts, Um, but not for nothing. We're, it looked like it's a housing project type of place that it was near, and it didn't look too bad of a place from what I could see, because I just saw a picture of the outside. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of Section 8 housing there from what I could see. But where the hell are the parents? Where are the values being instilled? Look at those girls in D.C., Dom, they were, what, 13 and 14? I mentioned them the other night. They killed that poor man the man from India that was driving for a living to protect his family. And when they he tried to... Uh, you know, put off their carjacking attempt. He paid for it with with his life. They were 13 and 14-year-old girls. And there was the the woman in um, New Orleans that got her arm ripped off when she was trying to get in her car and they tried to hijack her. And she ended up paying with her life bleeding out in the streets of New Orleans in the middle of the afternoon. Those were all kids kids under 18. We need to look what the hell's going on. There was a five-year-old kid in Chicago, a few days ago, his mother was buckling him in his seat in, his, in the car in a drive-by. He was shot and killed in a drive-by, five years old. And I, I just don't know where we are as a nation that we don't, first of all, value our children. That we don't, there, There's a study done that the average parent these days spends three and a half minutes a week, a week, in meaningful conversation with their children. Um,
0: something's and, and, gone- and it's showing. It, Jennifer, yeah. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you got emotional, and I, and I do have to move on. I'm I'm sorry that you and the people of Boston had to live through that, of what happened in the community of Lynn, um, as it relates to this dog. And as you know, I'm an animal lover, and I thank you for the call, Jennifer. I really appreciate you, and please try to calm down. I I do want to thank Curtis slewa and Nancy Slewa. Uh, I just listened to them, and Curtis and Nancy made a point of that I have not gotten over the fact that I lost my uh, Maltese uh, Dolce. and 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 the, and the truth of the matter is, it's been about two or three months, and I have not. I really have not. It it is it is it has been a a blow to me to not have my dog, and I I don't I don't know. I listened to Nancy say that the best way to deal with this basically is to get back on the horse and get another dog that needs love and care. And I have the property and the land for the dog to run around and be free. But after losing my dog, I I just don't have the desire to do it again. And to think that in the community of Lynn, uh, based on what Jennifer just told us that some of these kids lit a dog on fire and killed the dog and killed the dog. Dominic Carter here with you, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Let's go to Michael
1: in New Jersey. Good morning, Michael. What's on your mind? Yeah, good morning. Uh, as far as people doing that, these parents couldn't care less about their children. They probably had the kids so they could make more money on welfare. Uh, Michael, Michael, <laughs> Michael, Michael, guess what? Guess what?
0: You are right and right on both points. Let's be real. Let's call it for what it is. And oftentimes in these cases, more kids are produced simply for an increase in a welfare check. Let's call a spade a spade what it is. Please continue.
1: Yeah, and it's not going to get any better, because once the illegals find out this is the way to go, because to be honest about it, the people that they're letting in – now, I mean, it's not their fault. They came from – I wouldn't even call it a third world country. I would call it a tenth world country. They have no education. Most of them can't even read or write their own language. They're penniless. They came here with the clothes on their back. They have no trade, no skills. Basically, they're, ba- and they're living in shelters, which eventually the city is going to run out of. And what's going to happen is New York is going to have to build hundreds of shelters for them. They're going to suddenly find out, well, the only way we can survive is to start reproducing, having kids, and going on wealthier. And it's only going to go from bad to worse, worse to terrible, terrible to disaster. And to disaster, New York will be dead and buried. And, and that's what's going to happen. You know what, Michael? Uh,
0: oftentimes, uh, I know you're a passionate guy. And oftentimes, I, you know, I'll say to myself, well, Michael's going to the extreme a little bit because his heart is in the right place, but that's just how he feels. This morning, I agree with your assessment. The the social service game is going to continue. Eventually, the migrants are going to figure out a way to play the welfare game. And once they start that game, there's no stopping them. There's no stopping them. Right. Michael, I, I, I thank you for the, uh, for the call this morning. Dominic Carter here with you folks. Talk Radio 77 WABC. In about 10 minutes, I'm going to have an interesting conversation, or at least I, 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 I know it will be interesting, but I'm going to talk to a retired NYPD detective, Dr. Tom Coglin. He is the guy... That police officers turn to when they are when they are in trouble from a from a psychological standpoint and i I'll, I'll dare say with some officers that have thought about committing suicide or first responders, and the conversation with him this morning he's going to be honored next month, but the conversation will be a very simple one or at least from my perspective, and that is to talk to me about the impossible job that police officers have. Dominic Carter here with you Talk Radio 77 WABC. Let's go to Frank in Maine. Good morning Frank, what's on your mind?
4: Uh good morning Dominic, always a pleasure and happy Labor Day. You know Dominic, uh I concur with my my fellow New Englander up in Boston, but down in Boston. Um the May, the governor of of Maine And Madam Governor has wrote an op-ed piece in the Portland uh, Examiner, um, basically saying that the northern border should be as laxed as the – let me repeat that – should be as laxed as the southern border. Um, She says the northern border is too stringent on on illegals, and it should be more loose. It should be more laissez-faire. It should be more – it should be more uh, protective of illegals. Um, the northern border of Maine is about is, is the, one of the biggest borders in the country. And if that happens, uh, we will get infiltrated from the Canadian-U.S. border, like the Mexican-Texas uh, or the Mexican-New New, in- uh, New Mexico-Mexican-Arizona border. Um, it, it's insane. It's insanity what these politicians will go through, and there's more – more illegals come through. And I'm not saying all of them are bad. You're going to have incidences like what happened in Lynn, Massachusetts. You will have more incidences like you had in Portland, Maine, where people got shot in a housing complex that you didn't hear about, by the way. (laughs) And it turned out to be two illegals got shot, these two residences. So you know what? It's becoming... It's going to become more and more of a problem, and Mike from New Jersey also hit it right on the head. Uh, Dominic, have a good night. Thank you. Thank you, Frank, for the call uh, from Maine.
0: And, Frank, as you were speaking, what I'm thinking about is a dog's nature, even even a pit bull, is to trust you. It, it may be somewhat guarded, but it, it's, its basic nature is to trust you, to love you, and that's what it wants to do. And for these kids to set the dog on fire. The world that we live in, and I say this on a nightly basis, but it's real simple, until the progressives go, this will continue on and on and on. Coming up, I'm going to have a conversation with a uh um, NYPD law enforcement official from a psychological point of view. We all know police officers are quitting left and right. And at 45 minutes past the hour, the chronicles of Dominic Carter, and I'll tell you why it was a bittersweet day. Bad and good. Bad and good. But for right now, let's continue with your calls Let's go to Montrose and say good morning to Robert. Good morning, Robert. What's on your mind?
2: Uh, yes, good morning, Dominic. I hope everything is well with you and a happy Labor Day.
0: Same to you and your um, family, Robert.
2: Well, thank you. We had a nice big pig roast here today with a lot of the Ecuadorian community. And it was a okay, wonderful. So time. wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Um, so when you say a, when you say a pig roast, wait, wait, we'll get to your comment. Was the pig uh, cooked in the ground or, or above ground?
2: It was done above ground, and it was a big one. It come from the from the butcher. Right, it weighed about three hundred pounds after they Dressed, it It was definitely over two hundred pound pig.
0: Now I'm told I've never I've never had a pig cooked like that, but I'm told that it is absolutely delicious. Is that true?
2: It, it, you know, it, it is. It's a funny way how they cook it too. I, I've never had that experience in the past. Uh, they got it. It's like on a sawhorse, draped on a sawhorse. And they burn the hair off on it, and they keep shaving the hair away. And once the hair is all shaved away and it's browned up, what they do is they cut it into patches and strips. And first you eat the skin, and it's only maybe about an eighth of an inch thick. And then you eat the fat, which is about a half an inch, and then you get to the pig. But nothing goes to waste. Everything is consumed. That's and it was a wonderful time. You know, we all can learn something by uh, those who come to our country and look for a better way of life. Because my experience with the Ecuadorian community up here in this area, and you know this area well, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about Pittsburgh or Ossining. Uh Not Pittsburgh, sorry, uh, Peasco. But uh, I've learned a lot, you know, as, uh, as an individual that lives here in the Hudson Valley, as the but just what these people really want in life. And they want what you and I want. And that's to live peacefully, to have a good, calm life, and work hard, earn money, and send their kids off to a better life than what they've had. And, you know, I applaud them for it. They're very good to me. I have no complaints. I'm, I'm Euro-American, you know, so I'm, I'm very happy with them. Um, one thing I'd like to say is on this thing with those kids that killed that them dogs, And they say that the uh, children can't be held responsible. Parents can be held responsible. And I think that if a mother and a father were told one of them have to go to jail for three years because of that dog, they don't want their kid to go to jail.
0: Robert, that's Mm -hmm. wishful thinking. It should be that way, but under these progressives, it will never happen. You know it, and I know it.
2: I, I understand, and I know what the progressive movement is about. I was a Democrat from 1964 to 2015. Then I went to the Independence Party. I'm not happy with either party in America no more, because this is not the America that I remember. And, you know, and an interesting thing, I was watching a young kid today, about two, three years old, something I never seen here upstate New York, only in a city of New York. I was born in Manhattan. But up here, i never seen kids play stickball. I never seen him play handball up here, down in the city, every day, every day.
0: I, I, I Handball, like, um, I'm thinking of stickball, but handball with the concrete wall, and it, it, it's a lot of exercise.
2: It, yes, it is, and let me tell you, at the end of the day, when I remember when I was a kid in New York, after playing stickball all day out on the streets in New York, you know, the only thing we had to worry about was uh, running out into the avenue to get a ball, but uh, we were tired. We went home. We went to sleep. We turned <laughs> on the radio, 730, the Lone Ranger. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Hey, I, Robert, I, I, I thank it, you I'm for the over, call and, and have a uh, wonderful uh, Labor Day. Dominic Carter here with you. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Rob in Yorktown. Good morning, Rob, and welcome to the Dominic Carter Show.
5: Hey, Dominic. How you doing?
0: Well, and I hope you're doing well.
5: Yeah, just on my way home from work. Um, one question, Dominic, um, I understand you drive from Yorktown. Um, I'm driving off from Manhattan. Uh, what's your, what's your idea with this congestion price and this garbage?
0: I think it's one of the dumbest ideas that I've ever seen packaged and sold down the throats to the people of New York. I, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Everybody wants a discount. The MTA is a bottomless pit. Let's be honest about this. They say they need the money for capital improvements. Well, where did the rest? I get it. COVID. You haven't had the money that you normally have. But it, I, I just think it's one of the dumbest ideas ever, Rob. And I, I just I think I think it's going to kill a lot of businesses. You think we have traffic problems now? Wait till you see what happens around the perimeter of congestion pricing. I'm not talking about in the area. And New York is not London, so please stop making the London comparisons. They're not the same environment. And, and well, Rob, why don't you like it?
5: I drive down to work every day.
0: You know? So you, so you know going, what
5: time it is. And Dan, oh, yeah. I've been driving down since um, – since the beginning of um, 2020, since the virus started.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And I'm not going back on the train. No, I
1: have no desire and, and you know,
5: to go back You know, on Rob,
0: the train. I, I really appreciate you being honest. Because going on the train, that's not an option. If we're going to be honest, if you value your life, going on the train, I know many people, hey, Rob, I really appreciate your call and happy uh, Labor Day to you. Going on the train is not an option. For a majority of the city, whether they want to or not, they have to ride the subway system. It is the cheapest way for them to get around. And I would say it's the safest way. But that's going back maybe 30 years. That's no longer the system that we are dealing with now. And it it is it is outrageous and very sad what's going on with public transportation in New York. When you see a homeless person walking past you on the subway, now you gotta pray that this individual doesn't decide to single you out for his attack, and that attack could be pushing you on the train if you're a woman. It could be sexually assaulting you if if, if or, or he can knife you. He or she can knife you. It's happened. He or she can punch you in the face. If you're a senior citizen or Asian American, it is absolutely disgusting. And so I'm not for congestion pricing. Something has to give with our transportation system. And before I take a break, because I understand that Dr. Tom Coglin is on the line standing by. He is the retired NYPD detective from Blue Line Psychological Services. We're going to go to him when we come back, talking about how tough the job is for police officers. But the dangerous arsenic levels found in tap water at Manhattan NYCHA Complex in the East Village. I want you to listen, folks. And that's what I said. Arsenic levels found in tap water at a NYCHA housing complex. I want you to listen right here now, folks, to what residents are stating. My daughter was here this morning. She couldn't bathe her son because the water was came out, and then when it went down, it was all sandy. You're doing everything I'm doing to try to keep my mom alive. To try and keep her mom alive. And the public advocate, Jumaane Williams... No matter where you may stand on on his politics, he's raising a legitimate question of why did it take so long to get this diagnosed? Listen to this. I do have a concern of why it took so long to go from the 3rd to the 12th, 13th for additional tests and why it would take another 10, 13 days after that for the test results to come. That is a problem. Dominic Carter here with you. Talk Radio 77 WABC on this Labor Day. It is time for a break. When we come back, we will talk about how tough it is to be a police officer with a retired detective, Dr. Tom Coglin. And in our Chronicles of Dominic Carter segment, I'll tell you why Sunday was an extremely bittersweet day for me. We'll be right back. Talk Radio 77. This is a big rich town. I just come from the Polish part. Bright light city life. I gotta make
2: it. Now, here's Dominic Carter on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
0: Dominic Carter, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Police have an impossible job. Police have. An impossible job. With me right now is a retired NYPD officer, Dr. Tom Coglin. He is the owner of Blue Line Psychological Services. I have visited his office. He is the real deal. Now in private practice psychotherapy for law enforcement and other first responders, ranging from FEMA. As a first responder psychologist to Homeland Security, the Drug Enforcement Administration's EAP program, NYPD affiliated peer support program, the list goes on and on. Dr. Coughlin, thank you for joining us.
6: Dominic, thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Well, you do remarkable work and you really are a hero on the front line. First, the first part of your career as an officer and then in psychological services within NYPD, and now still giving back in private practice. I want to begin with what has been in the news as of late, dominating the headlines. I don't understand the mentality, the psychology of this young lady in Harlem. You know about the incident. We all do. The female 19-year-old where she pushed and apparently slapped the uh, officer. And then it was very um, tragic, but the officer, uh, not realizing what was going on around him, he hit her, she uh, fell, hit the pavement. But talk to me, if you will, Tom Coughlin, about the psychology. As someone that's been on the job, where people think, some people think, they can interfere with law enforcement and with the NYPD.
6: Thank you so much, Dominic. You know, let's go back to the word you used and you repeated twice to talk about police work, impossible, right? The work is nearly impossible. And I think one of the things that people lose sight of is that law enforcement is never pretty. It's police work is never pretty, even proper application of the use of force, good justified use of force, good police work, it is never pretty to go out and enforce the law and do police work. But in the age of body cameras, and the age of increased scrutiny on police officers, and the age of cell phone cameras, we have much more of a window into the world of that unpretty work. And so just because the work looks not pretty doesn't mean it's not good, justifiable use of force. And For many years I would suggest we can go back into the history of this but for many years there has been a growing sense that interfering with police work um, has some just cause to it that people have some right to interfere with police doing police work uh, obstructing governmental administration resisting arrest engaging in disorderly conduct with the police while they're trying to effect arrest in fact Um, If we go to both sides of the aisle and we go back to the words of of Mayor de Blasio in 2014, when we go back to Mayor de Blasio, perhaps one of the most progressive uh, mayors we've had in many, many years, the words of Mayor de Blasio is that when a police officer comes to the decision, that is, they've established probable cause, that it is time to arrest someone, that individual is obligated to submit to arrest and then he went on to say every New Yorker should agree to do what they need to do as a citizen and respect the officer and follow their guidance and that was followed up by City Council Member Jumaane Williams who said follow the orders of the police do not resist what they are asking you to do and follow their orders right and so we have on both sides of the aisle quite the um, uh, the the word out there that what you must do in these situations, is not obstruct governmental administration, not resist arrest, not interfere with police trying to to affect a lawful arrest. And if there is an issue with with poor police work, or bad police work, or unjustifiable arrest, well, then you deal with the due process that the court system affords you, right? But there has become an increasing culture in our society of. Pushing to advocate for the resisting of arrest pushing to interfere with police work and it's it's there is no scenario where it's justified to do it.
0: Agreed of a, a thousand percent and uh, th- this was a very uh, tough lesson for this young lady to have undergone and and by the way. Uh I, I should point out that you will be honored in October, but I will come back to that in just a second. We are chatting with someone that is the real deal. Tom Coglin, Dr. Tom Coglin, uh retired NYPD. He owns Blue Line Psychological Services, now in private practice, psychotherapy for law enforcement, other first responders from FEMA to Homeland Security, to the DEA, to NYPD. So I, I guess I I want to go to a much broader question, uh, Dr. Coughlin. What is the state of mental health in policing today and why?
6: Dominic. Unfortunately, and I wish I had a better answer. I wish I had a more um, positive answer. The state of mental health and policing today is poor. And th- the reason it is poor is that when we look at when we look at reciprocity, right, It's 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 the rare person who goes into police work. Because they have aspirations to become rich or become wildly successful in that kind of material way in the world, most people go most people go into policing because they have a sense of wanting to be part of, uh, of the better side of society. They want to be one of the good guys. In recent years, there's become a lack of reciprocity in that experience. Cops are not experiencing a return on investment for the work they're putting into. Their job they're not getting there's a lack of reciprocity from their agency there's a lack of reciprocity from the community and eventually what that leads to over years it leads to burnout it leads to this experience of becoming burned out in doing the job you become apathetic to the work you become indifferent to the work Potentially, you develop what we call compassion fatigue over the years, where you just lose a sense of empathy for the people who need you most. Uh, and this idea of a lack of reciprocity, it truly eats away at our, at our police officers and our agents and our troopers out there in the street. Um, and in, in, until we can turn around, until we can change the culture, not only in society, but also within police organizations, within agencies. Where there is greater reciprocity for our officers and they feel as if they are are valued, that their work means something, and that they're going to work to be part of a good system um, until we do, do away with things like these uh, no-cash bail reforms, et cetera, et cetera, these other, these, these other policies, uh, that, that lack of reciprocity will just remain right? And so we need our officers to feel supported. We need them to believe that what they're doing matters. And we need a sense of reciprocity from both the communities and from their organizations.
0: Talk to me a bit further about, you just alluded to it, about the solution, more of the solution, because right now what we're dealing with, Tom Coglin, are police officers that that feel that the politicians just don't have their back, and and there's, there's qualified immunity. I mean, it almost seems like almost everything that could go wrong is going wrong for police officers on the front line putting their life on the line each and every day.
6: And And, Dominic, I'll tell you, it's not only our local police officers. I work with law enforcement at the local, at the state at the federal level. Uh, and what I can tell you is that this experience, this experience of burnout, this sense of lack of reciprocity, its it has spread. It has permeated throughout the field of law enforcement, not only local policing, state-level policing, federal agencies. Um, I work in my practice with law enforcement from all levels of government, civilian and uniform employees. And I can tell you that this experience, this um, this sense of distress the sense of despair that's running through our, our offices we have officers retiring in droves um, it used to be my grandfather was on the job from 1938 to 1972 34 years and his son was on the job as well and it used to be that when you came on the job you stayed on the job the mentality now is 20 and out let me do my time and let me get out and the more and more I find is that the officers that I'm working with in, in therapy who were around, say, 14, 15, 16 years on, they are emotionally and mentally limping to the finish line, just trying with a sense of desperation to make it to that time so they can get out. That was never the mentality in the past. It is the mentality now because there is a true sense of despair among law enforcement today.
0: Talk to me. Dr. Coglin, uh, and and you have all the credentials. Uh, you've actually worked in the uh, in the uh, department, mental health department, uh, screening officers uh, in terms of uh, mental health issues. So you've you've been on the front line. Talk to me to us about police suicides. It's a story that I've covered a very long time, and it breaks my heart every time when I think about the fact that an officer, he or she may feel that they are no other choice and they decide for personal problems, professional problems, they decide to take their own lives. It seems like we're dealing with more and more increased police suicides.
6: Dominic, every single one breaks my heart. And it's a topic that I, even I have a difficult time talking about because every single one breaks my heart. Um, to to fully discuss police suicide we could discuss this literally for days on end in workshops but to to bring it together concisely when we look at suicide we have three primary factors right we have a sense of helplessness meaning that I am unable I have no ability to change my situation we have a sense of hopelessness which means that today is as good as it will ever be and today is really bad tomorrow will only ever be worse and we have a sense of unbearable emotional pain. I can no longer do this. When we put those three pieces together, that sense of psychic, that unbearable emotional pain, that sense of hopelessness, that sense of helplessness, when we put those three things together and then we pour on top of that ready access to a firearm and, and a culture, unfortunately, a culture in law enforcement that has not moved away, it's moving away, but has not fully moved away from self-medication with alcohol an acceptance of alcohol abuse within the culture and a stigma against mental health and a stigma against reaching out and getting mental health treatment. When you put those things together in a pot, suicide almost, almost becomes an inevitability at times. Um, I am so happy that since 2019, the numbers have begun to come down, um, but, but we haven't beaten it yet. Right, and I, and I believe, if you would ask me to define what is the crux of the matter, I believe that, that really the linchpin here is organizational culture. And I could tell you stories um, about things I've seen and things I've heard within the agency, but what I can tell you is that there are two different sides of the messaging that goes on in law enforcement organizations there is one side of of messaging from the top down that says it's okay to not be okay we want you to reach out we want you to ask for help uh you know we want you to make use of all these agency services that, that, we're, that we're making available to you and then there's another side where in reality there is unfortunately there are unfortunately consequences career consequences at times doing just that and so until we bring those two messages together and and find a a happy compromise where there are no longer consequences whatsoever to reaching out for mental health help and getting the treatment that people need when they feel hopeless when they feel helpless when they're in unbearable pain um, until organizational cultures change and the agency culture changes uh, we've done good work uh, We've we great legislation out there that, that's supporting law enforcement suicide uh, pre- prevention measures. There's a lot more work to be done.
0: We are talking with Dr. Tom Coglin, the owner of Blue Line Psychological Services. He's worked from uh, federal agencies and first responders to NYPD for many years. He's retired NYPD himself, the work that you do, Doctor Coglin, is is so positive and so helpful. There is an event coming up on October 23rd where you will be honored at St. Francis Preparatory uh, High School, a First Responder Memorial Scholarship Fund uh, event. Tell me about that.
6: Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity, Dominic. Um, yes, I am. I am extremely honored, uh, humbled. Um, to to announce that on October 23rd uh, of this year, myself and and two other alumni of St. Francis Preparatory School uh, will be honored at a 5K run and walk, as well as a mass and a scholarship event. Um, it's in memory of the first responders memorial scholarship fund at St. Francis Prep, where they identify alumni from the high school. Who have gone on into the field of first responder work and and left their mark sort of on that world Uh, it'll be myself it will be uh, a retired uh, it'll be an alum from uh, the fire department and an alum who was a u.s navy commander for many years Uh, and the three of us will be honored um, at this memorial scholarship event it's a 5k uh, run walk at saint francis prep on uh, october 23rd Um, very very excited to be there very honored And, and i tell you any any success that i've had um i i absolutely attribute to the amazing really wonderful education that i received at st francis prep during my times there from 84 to 88 Um, and i'm just uh, my father was a graduate class of 58 i followed in his steps and graduated in 88 my daughter followed my steps and graduated there in 21 and um, i am just so honored and and humbled to to be there and uh, anybody who wanted to participate or, or contribute um, they can go online at sfponline.org or go to the um, the SFP site at the uh, First Responders Memorial Scholarship Fund uh, and get all the information there if they wanted to participate.
0: Well, Dr. Coglin, we we thank you for uh, joining us, and I will have an extended conversation with Dr. Tom Coglin for my podcast, which will be posted. Uh, posted that is at some point later on tomorrow. Tomorrow on Tuesday. It is now time for a break, and, and before we do so, let me remind you folks that on this Labor Day, coming up in just minutes at the top of the hour, Curtis Sliwa in for Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. I am going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to the telephone calls again, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 and I will explain why Sunday, for me on a very personal level, was a bittersweet day. We'll be right back. WABC. These
2: are the Chronicles of Dominic Carter on 77 WABC.
0: Somewhat of a bittersweet day. Somewhat of a bittersweet day. Sunday. I lost a friend of mine of almost 50 years we have been friends for close to 50 years and he died this morning in Newark New Jersey his name is Wayne Wood and you didn't know him but he meant the world to me our lives went in very different paths We attended high school together at John F. Kennedy High School in the Bronx. But he always wanted the best for me. We were childhood rappers together. And it's hard comprehending already that we will never talk to each other again. As we did about a week and a half ago, he was down in South Carolina, North Carolina, we will never drive to Syracuse again in the middle of the night after I get off of WABC at 1 a.m., for example, to move my daughter Courtney uh, to Rhode Island from Syracuse. Wayne, I I already miss you, and thank you for close to 50 years of friendship. And sometimes it seems you receive bad news when things are going well, when you're having a good day. So the news that I wanted to share primarily today is that I'm very proud, we are very proud of our daughter, Courtney Carter. She is releasing her first children's book. And the book is titled, Eva, the Kid Reporter and uh Courtney, under the name of Courtney Carter de jesus uh she has a kickstart uh dot com campaign. I'm not big on technology, but that's that's where the book can be uh ordered but it's a book uh for all kids, and so I say congratulations uh to my daughter, and I finish with stating that it was a bittersweet day because this is another positive. I want to congratulate someone that without him, this show would not be possible on a nightly basis. And along with Matt and Kenneth, his name is Alex Bernard. And Alex Bernard is a producer for WABC, senior producer, who basically an executive producer. And he's working on this show all day long before I even think about the show figuring out ways to make it better for you, our listening audience. So the other night, I get off the air, and I'm on my way home, and Alex is starting the next show, the Frank Marano Show, and he says, Dominic, I want you to listen to something. I'm like, sure, Alex, what's up? And he goes, I have a a heavy metal song, right? And he goes, I don't know if you're into heavy metal, but he goes, I have a heavy metal song on Spotify. Now, I have to be honest with you folks, I don't know how to work Spotify. I guess I'm old school like that, old generation. And so he sent me the link, and I'm, I'm about to get in the elevator to go downstairs to start the process to go home, and I listened to it, and I liked it. And I'm really proud of him because he's pursuing the things that he wants to do in life. And what's better than that? So to Kenneth and Matt, the guys that make this show possible, but in this case in particular right now, to Alex Barnard, who is a executive producer on this show, congratulations, man, on your heavy metal song. I, I thought it was wonderful. I really did, right? I used to listen to this stuff when I went upstate to college in Quetland. In fact, it was the only stuff sometimes that we had to listen to. So, again, congratulations and you hear it there in the background and and alex i like i like the tune i just i just like it man i think it's fantastic and so let's just listen for a second
2: in the age of mass consumption and evil works behind the scenes self-absorbed psychotic miscreants want to put their faces on your screens Collected
3: by your schools and parents and by
0: a lust for All right, Alex, thank you for that and thank you for what you do each and every day. We are taking your telephone calls, 800-848-WABC, 800 I see we have Neil in Staten Island on congestion pricing. Good morning, Neil. What's on your mind? Good morning,
5: Dominic. You know, when this thing came out, uh, I think it was last year, one of the Democratic bills that was passed gave the MTA $12 billion, and they were really in debt. The $12 billion brought them out of debt, and I saw Chuck Schumer on a news conference, and he said that with that money, the MTA is well-funded into the future for technology, for equipment, and for salaries, and there's no reason for any more uh, hikes, any, any fair hikes or anything else. Now they come up with this congested pricing. All it is... There's a bunch of lousy Democrats who just want to stick it to people because there's no reason for it. If they were really serious about money for the MTA, they would correct the fares from the people that aren't paying. And if they don't want to pay, instead of giving them a ticket, take their phone, take their shoes, take their pants, and then they'll show up in court and they'll pay their tickets. Or if you don't take something from them, they're just not going to show up. But, I mean, if I go to a restaurant, if I go to Peter Luger's and I have a steak— and I say, hey, let Dominic Carter pay for it. Uh, how fair is that? Oh, it's not a bad idea, Dominic, how fair is that?
0: <laughs> right. It's, it's, you, know, you know, Neil, what the MTA says in response to your comment is that, well, the fares that they have not been able to collect does not come anywhere near the amount of money that's needed for the capital improvements. And so let, let's call it for what it is. It's an emotional blackmail attempt. If we don't get this money, then you're gonna have a horrible transportation system. Well, Neil, what do we have now?
5: Horrible, horrible, It's horrible now.
0: It is. And and Neil, I I hope that you have a uh, a wonderful uh, Labor Day and relax and enjoy it and don't don't push too hard. Thank you for the call, Neil. Dominic Carter here with you, Talk Radio 77 WABC. We are taking your calls up to the top of the hour, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Coming up in about three minutes will be Curtis Slewa. In tonight for Frank Marano and the other side of midnight, Curtis pacing the hallways as always, ready to go and excited and and it 's always a great show when Curtis is uh, on the radio so thus far, this morning, we heard from Dr. Tom Coglin. It was a great conversation about how tough it is being a police officer these days, former vice president. Mike Pence, according to a panel member, expected to testify before the special house committee investigating January sixth. But my question really is, and it's not a question, it's a it's a statement. How how long are we going to do this? You have not I, I think there have been there there have been eight other hearings. So when is enough enough? Are we going to hold hearings? Literally through the midterms? Are we going to hold hearings? Uh going into the uh, 2024 race? At what point? When is enough enough? And the other story that we are following very carefully, and you have to feel uh bad for these residents, residents of uh some NYCHA, a NYCHA housing uh, development project in the East Village. They are scrambling after arsenic was found in their drinking water. So more than twenty five hundred people living in the NYCHA complex in the village, uh the Jacob Reese uh houses have been told, or at least as of this weekend, not to drink or cook with water from their taps this after officials warned in an emergency notice on friday again not to cook not to drink water coming from their taps it's 2022 and we're still still that is dealing with issues like this folks you want to keep it right there coming up right now Curtis Lee, we're in for Frank Morano. Have a great Labor Day. Dominic Carter, seventy-seven WABC.